Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Well, we're talking about the best worst sermon topic of the year, financial stewardship. We said that last week, it's the worst if you don't give. It's the best if you are a giver. So right now, see, I don't know what anybody gives. I like it that way because if I knew, some people I'd be like way too impressed with. Other people I'd be highly disappointed in. So right now, we're just going to pretend like you're just like me. And we, shut, we saw last week that, that about 20% of the people give about 80% of the resources. So just look at your neighbor and say, thanks for giving big. Just tell them, thanks for giving big. That's right, that's right. See, because you don't know the difference. Now, all I'll encourage you is don't let your countenance fall. Act like you're the biggest giver in here. It's okay, because nobody knows the difference. All right, and so uh, last week we began this thing about uh, called uh, 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 giving to greatness. All right, that's, that's our sermon, and it's a two-part series. And so we talked about the first two points about giving for greatness, and the first one was availability. Here's the point in that. We talked about it last week. Everything is God's. Just look at your neighbor and say, it's all his anyway. It just is. Okay, it's not yours. Now, we like to take ownership. We have deeds and titles, and, and, and we call stuff our own, but it's not. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Your stuff's not your own. It's all his. And so when we look at the availability of resources, knowing they're from God, it is unlimited and uh and uh, bigger than we can understand. That it's just it's enormous what God has, so we need to learn to tap into it. In fact, here's what I would tell you. That financially, we struggle when we make self the source. We struggle financially when we make self the source. What that means is, is, is it comes time for giving or it comes time for life. We open up our wallet. And we say, well, I got about $30, and so we can't do much. Or, or we pull this out, and we say, yeah, insufficient funds. And I got to tell you, last week we took Judson to, uh, to Chuck E. Cheese. And Chuck E. Cheese, you buy a little card that's got coupons on it. I got insufficient funds at Chuck E. Cheese. When I ran out of the little tickets, it said uh, a card empty or whatever it was. I told Kendra, I said, I got insufficient funds at Chuck E. Cheese. You know you've hit hard times, okay, when you can't even play skee-ball because uh, you insufficient funds, all right? So availability talks about the greatness of the resources, and they are at God's disposal, and we are his children, and when we tap into the greatness of who he is, he'll provide uh, more to us. Number two, we talked about responsibility, that we are all responsible for what he gives us. We are stewards that's all. Managers. He passes it through our hands. How we use it is up to us. He responds to the way we use his resources. We talked about the Pareto analysis, the 80-20 split, that 20% of the people give all the money and do all the work. 80% of the people watch the 20% do it. We talked about in our church, according to Tim, it looks a little bit different than that. We're probably 70-30, a little better than the national average, but it's still kind of pitiful. And so my job 
is not to beat anybody into giving. My, my job is to simply show you what God's Word says. And I wouldn't do anything to hurt your family. I wouldn't do anything to hurt your finances. I want everybody in here to walk in all the blessing that God wants to afford you. But He does not, will not do that when we're disobedient. It's just that simple. And we'll see that today. Now, we talked about last week also when it, when it came to uh, responsibility. Sometimes we say, well, if I had more, I'd give more. You know, if I had more than this guy over here, I would give more. If I had that kind of money, I'd give more. And the truth is, Share Faith Statistics from 2015 says that the, per the person who makes less than $20,000 a year, less than $20,000 a year, is eight times more likely to give than somebody who makes over $75,000 a year. Now, what is that? It's simply this. The more you make, the more you spend. You think, I'm going to have more money. I'm going to give more money. No. The more money you have, the more money you're going to spend on bigger stuff, fancier toys, and more of your personal desires. Number three, brand new material for today, accountability for his great resources. Accountability for his great resources. We, we have to be accountable. God holds us to that. I said last week, and I'm not bragging, Kendra and I's goal for, for 2020 is to give 25% of our income. And I don't say that to brag. I say it to say, I'm not, I wouldn't share anything with you that I'm not convicted and convinced from Scripture that's true. And, and I'm not asking you to do anything that we don't do. Now, it's different for us. We're, 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 it's by default we give, default of our mamas and daddies. Her mom and dad gave. My mom and dad gave. They taught us to give. They made us give to the place where we practiced stewardship. We saw the fruit of it. And so today we try to give. We haven't always done great, but we've, done, we've tried to give uh, over and above a tithe most of our married life. And so that's all we're talking about. You see, when it comes to accountability... The, the reason we know God holds us accountable is because he speaks to the topic of material possessions and finances throughout his word. In, in fact, there's over 2,000 verses just about material possessions. 2,000. You say, so what? Big deal. There's only 500 on prayer. Less than 500 on faith. Why does God weigh in so heavily when it comes to financial stewardship and material possessions? Because this was not just written for today, and you know what's a problem today. This was written for, the, for, the, for, for all of the season of mankind on this earth. You see, the idea of, of hanging on to God's possessions with white knuckles isn't new. It's, it didn't originate in your family or my family. It was in the first family. You see, Adam and Eve had children, two of their sons, Cain and Abel, were born. Cain was a keeper of the field. And so when it came to the appointed day for offering, the Bible says, Genesis 4, he brought some of the fruit. Okay? Now his brother Abel was a, was a keeper of livestock. And on the day appointed for offering, he gave the best, the first, and the fatted of all he had. They bring their offerings. God looked down and he says, Abel, I am pleased with that. Cain, I'm disappointed. It made Cain so mad he murdered his brother. You see, financial possessions, how we handle those, is, is not new. And, and us being greedy about it is not new. It's been around since the beginning of mankind. And that is why God speaks into it so much. 38 parables Jesus taught. 38 stories. Of the 38 stories, 16 of them have to do with financial possessions. 
and material possessions. Jesus was serious about it. God's word is serious about it. Here's why. Because in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says this amazing little verse. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, here's what he's saying. Where you put your treasure, that's a reflection of your heart. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart will go. Now, how do you know where your heart is regarding your treasure? It's really not that difficult. In the world we live in, it's, it's, it's really quick. Pardon me, I'm going to tie my shoes so I don't fall over on the stage. All right? It's really not that difficult because why? Because we have technology. And maybe you are like me. You still write checks. Anybody here still write checks? All right. Old school. Okay? And now, some people, they don't do checks. Okay? But regardless, you can determine where your heart is. Here's how you do it. Maybe you bank at SunTrust. You go home today and maybe you're a technology guy. You, you check everything online. You could probably do it on your phone right now. You could say, let me look at where I've spent my money in the last, let's just say, uh, 180 days. That's a good round number, six months. Let's just see where we've spent our money. You'll find out, man, I'm spending a lot of money on food. Anybody spend a boatload of money on food? Anybody eat out in here? You can't go anywhere for, and, and eat cheap anymore. You can't get a Happy Meal cheap anymore. <clears throat> so... That's why I'm not happy. Why, is that, why does that make you happy? It's junk food, a garbage toy, and you're hungry when you finish. Ain't nothing happy about that. Now, so I don't know where that came from. So you, so, so, you, so you scroll down through there, and you look at where you're spending your money. Well, I got a mortgage payment. I got two car payments. I got insurance payment. I have utilities. I have food. I have Christmas coming up. I got my vacation in the summer and maybe another one in the fall. And here's the way you do it. You just write them all down. You put them on a priority list. And it starts with mortgage. That's usually a big one for most people. And car payments, they're just about like a mortgage anymore. And, and utilities, that's a big one anymore. And all of a sudden you get down and, and just put Jesus down for your contribution to the church because we're his bride, the bride of Christ. Okay, Jesus died to birth the church. So just put Jesus. Now, here's how you know where your heart is. If Jesus' line is up here somewhere in the top three or so, you're heading in the right direction. If Jesus' line is way down here in the bottom of the gutter, you failed the test miserably. Now, look at your neighbor and say, you need to do better than that. Just tell your neighbor because we're, we're talking to your neighbor, not you. See, there you go. So here's, that's how you know. It's not rocket science. How can I do it? I can go back through my check registry. Thumb back through there where my money's going. And if Jesus is not on the top of the list, then I'm not doing well by the resources that he has given me. I am not being the steward that he has called me to be. And so 1 Timothy 6.10 weighs in. It says, the love of money. Tell your neighbor. Ask your neighbor, do you love money? Ask them, to, or do you love Jesus? Okay, now here you say, well, that's hard, preacher. I'm, I, listen, your preacher wouldn't do anything to hurt you. Your preacher wants nothing for you but what's best for you and your family and this church. And I won't lie to you. I won't uh, shed any of the truth from you. I won't try with all that's in me not to distort or twist it. And so God wants to bless you, but he cannot bless you. He cannot afford you any other resources when you're hanging on white knuckle. Your hands are full of what, what he gave you last month. So when we let go of it, it opens our hands and opens our heart and demonstrates to God, I'm, I'm your person. You can trust me with your resources. And so he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He says, listen, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of that stuff 
is the root of all kinds of evil. And then he says this, and you know it's true. We've all known people who once upon a time had a walk with the Lord, who had yielded themselves to Jesus, God was blessing them, and then they got on that hamster wheel, man, trying to earn more, accomplish more, be more, and man, they're just wearing it out, trying to get and gain and be all that they can be, and they forgot all about the God who gave them the ability to do any of it, you know? And, and that's what he's talking about here. And so God weighs in. Now, now here's, I'm going to tell you what, 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 what tends to be a problem in the church. There's people sitting in this room right now, and you don't give. And here's why you don't give. You ready? I'm not giving to that church because I don't agree with the way they spend all the money. Okay? That's what, you, that's what some people think. I don't agree with the way they spend all the money. That's what you look like, too. You don't know it, but it just radiates from you. That's what the Lord sees, okay? And you may be saying, yeah, but I've got a legitimate one, okay? They spent, they left them parking lot, uh, parking lot lights on all night long. That's got to be costing $200 a month. I mean, come on, okay? Okay, whatever. Let me tell you what you do when you, when you demonstrate that attitude. You demonstrate to God that you know what's best for everybody else, and you're going to judge the church because part of it doesn't align itself with your philosophy of spending, right? Now, let me tell you the problem with that. Jesus weighed in Matthew 7, verse 22. Listen to what he said. He said, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Ouch. You know what you just said to God when you say something like, I don't agree with the way they're spending all the money over there. I'm not giving. You know what you just said to God? God, I got it all figured out. So here, here's my, here's my uh, statement for the last year. You just inspect it, God, and just see how I got it figured out. Because here's what you've said to God. Judge me like I judge the church. You know what that means? He said, you're saying to God, I'm not giving because I don't agree with that. And if God looks at any of your expenses and, not, and he doesn't agree with all of them 100%, he doesn't agree, he's going to cut off the blessings just like you did. He's going to cut off the relationship. He's going to cut off the health. He's going to cut it all off. Why? Because he doesn't agree with the way you're spending all your money. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Now, you can get mad at the preacher if you want to. I'm telling you the absolute truth. I'm telling you the truth. Don't, be, don't, be, hate, don't hate the messenger. Okay? Now, so he tells us that this is how he wants us to do it, but often we... Don't do it. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We don't get how much we really have. You're blessed people. Look at your neighbor and say, man, you're blessed. You're blessed. Now, everybody look right here. I don't, don't tell nobody. But the person sitting next to you, rich. The person next to you, deep pockets. She got deep pockets right there. Alma Jean's got the deep pockets. Okay? Deep pockets. Marie, deep pockets. Okay? All of you have deep pockets. John is from Brazil. Deep pockets. Manuel, as, as Judson calls him, he's from Spain. Deep pockets. And right there between you, deep pockets. How do I know this? How do I know this? Because what we do is we forget to compare ourselves to the world stage. We look around in the neighborhood, we look around in the church, we look around the Thanksgiving table, and we compare ourselves to each other, and we determine how little we have, and that is wrong. Let's just open up the, let's just open up the scale a little bit and compare ourselves to the world. Because often we, don't, we forget to compare ourselves to uh, the Congo, 
There's a good one for you. In the Congo, the average person lives on slightly over a dollar a day. A family of four, about $5 a day. Okay? Now, <clears throat> what about Zimbabwe? Less than $2 a day per person. What about Burundi, Liberia, Madagascar, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Sudan, Haiti, Myanmar? What about all of those countries? What about all of those countries? They live on nothing. And if you travel the world scene on missions, you'll find out they're happy in their nothingness. And you'll show up over there having all these resources and realize, woe is me, the world has nothing. I have everything. And you know what? Before you get out of there, they'll be wanting to give you something. They'll want to give you some of their nothingness if it means they have to go out to a tree, whack off a limb, and carve you something. They want to give you something out of their absolute nothingness. So what does it look like on the world stage? If you look at 111 countries, that represents 88% of our world population, a little over 7 billion people. Over 88% of those are found in 111 countries. Here's what it looks like. If you're poor, in all of those averaged, you're living on less than $2 a day. If you're just low income in the world stage, you're living on between $2 and $10 a day per person in your household. If you're middle income, I mean, you know, you made it. You have arrived. Middle income, you're living on $10 to $20 a day per person in the household. If you're upper middle class, I mean, you you in a fancy neighborhood, you are living on $20 to $50 a day per person. If you are high income, I mean, you to rich folks in the neighborhood, you're living on $50 a day. So what does that look like? On the world global stage, middle income ranges from 14000 to 29000 for a family of four. Let me just go ahead and tell you, very, very, very few people in here living on less than uh, fourteen dollars to $29,000 for a family of four. That means if you're living all by yourself, that means you're about $3,500, I think that's right, a year. Wow. Tell your neighbor, you are rich. What about in America? How do we line up as a whole? Not just you. How do we line up as a whole? 56% of Americans are considered high income on the global scale. 88%, that's almost 9 out of 10 Americans, had a standard of living that's higher than middle income. Only 3% of the Americans are considered low income compared to the world. And yet what do we do? We look around and we compare ourselves to each other. And all of a sudden, if somebody's driving a nicer car, living in a bigger house, going on fancier vacations, boy, they got it made and I am poor. Let me tell you the problem with that. It's called the iceberg, uh, the iceberg analogy. If you're sailing in the ocean and you see an iceberg, you're seeing this beautiful, majestic slug of ice. But to sustain what part you see protruding out of the sea, it takes that, that's only 10% of the whole iceberg. 90% is underwater sustaining and floating the 10% you see. Oh, but you're amazed at the 10% of the iceberg you see. You're amazed at the stuff the people in your neighborhood have. But just like the iceberg, 90% of it is underwater. 
And when it comes to families in American culture, 90% of what we see, of, of, of all that we see is underwater. It's buried under the sea of debt. So what used to be the American dream has now become the American nightmare. You say, what is that? It is when we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Now that's what we do, okay? We've, got, we've gone nuts. And then we wonder why we're miserable. And then we wonder why the number one argument, frustration, and difficulty in the American home today is financial stress. That's it. Every time, every survey, it's always in the top three. So availability of God's resources, responsibility for God's resources, accountability of God's resources, number four, reward ability for the care of his great resources. Now, the good thing about God, everything's good about God, but, but one of the amazing things about God you, you can't run from is God tells us what to do, and then he blesses us when we do it. That's so cool about God. It's not like he's saying, I want you to do this, and you're going to be miserable, you're going to hate it, it's going to hurt you, and you're never going to experience any benefits or blessings from it. That's not God. God is a God who gives us instructions, and on the other side of instructions, we have one of two choices, obedience or disobedience. And when we're disobedient, he disciplines us or punishes us, and when we're obedient, he blesses us. It is just that simple. And so what he does is he commands it, he instructs it, he expects it, he inspects it, and when we do right, he rewards it. That's what's amazing about God. I can stand up here and tell you God wants you to sacrifice your resources and just let him be in charge of your resources, and that's great. But I, I, would be, I wouldn't be telling you the whole truth if I didn't tell you God will bless you when you yield your financial resources to God. He will take, if you give 10% off the top, the other 90% will go further than 90%. That's the way his economy works. And so we've got to get to a place where we just say, man, it's kind of hurting up front. I don't really see the blessing. I'm not feeling the love. Okay, we've got to get to a place where we're in it for the long haul. We're, we're looking forward so God will bless us. And that is where we live a life of faith and not sight. You see, what we have a tendency to do is we walk by sight. We give by sight. We uh, tithe by sight. In other words, if, I've got, if I can see it, I'm going to give it. That's not how we live as Christians. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is believing things are so, even when they don't seem so, just because he said it was so. Now, that's a, that's a new dimension, and it's good, but it's not easy at first because we can't see the end result of what it is we're placing our faith in. And the truth is, if we're not operating by faith, we're, we're living lives of sinfulness, Okay? If you live by sight and not by faith, you're walking in sin. Listen to what it says in Romans 14, 23. It says, for the man who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not do so from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. So if you live a life as a child of God that's not driven by faith, then you're driven by sight, and that is a sin. And so no matter what we do, we're to give. Now, how do I know God rewards? Because that sounds a little bit like a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, material message. Where the preacher says, well, if you give, he's going to pour it back to you. Well, he does. 
But, but I'm not telling you, if you know, oh, you need to sow you know, $1,000 in the ministry and next week the check's in the mail, you're getting 10000 back. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you this. If you get your stewardship right, if you get your money right, if you let go of it, open up your hands, he will afford and provide more than you had before. I'm telling you, he will do that. Because when you demonstrate to the one who has it all available, when you demonstrate your trust in him with your resources, you demonstrate that he can trust you with more of his resources. It's just about that simple. Okay? Now, how do I know he blesses and rewards Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you're doing, work at it with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not for people because you know that you will receive your inheritance from the Lord as the reward. There it is. Inheritance, reward. Well, yeah, but that's talking about eternal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what about Matthew 25, 21? His master answered, well done, good and faithful slave. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm still not convinced that's eternal. Revelation 22:12. 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to give everyone according to their work. When he comes back, he's rewarding for everything you did in the past. He is a rewarder of those who do what we're supposed to do. And I'm just telling you, I'm not afraid of it. That includes our finances. Amen, Brother Joel. There you go. Three of us. Amen. That's all right. I'll, I'll do it by myself. I don't even care. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. This, this, is, this is what it looks like long term. So you live your life walking by sight, not by faith. Thinking, okay, everything's cool. God's okay with everything. One day we all stand before judgment and we give an account. Listen to what it looks like. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13, beginning there, Each one's work, what you do, how you live, how you use his resources, will become manifest for the day will disclose it. The day. Dun-dun. He says, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You know what he's saying? All of us stand, we'll, we'll go before the, the fire of purification. Okay? And the things that we've done for God to honor him, not for selfish gain, not for selfish pleasure, we, we make it through. It's not consumed in the fire like wood, hay, and stubble. And so we come out on the other side, and the things that we've done for the glory of God in obedience to his word, we get rewarded for that in the eternal kingdom of God. Now, I'm telling you, that's just cool stuff. But it also says there's some people, man, they're going to come through the fire and they're going to smell like they just came from a weenie roast. There ain't nothing left. I mean, they're saved, but there's no rewards in heaven. And, and, and don't get me wrong, we get to heaven, it's going to be how many rewards you get? Oh, that's what you got? Yeah, look at mine. Okay, it's not that. It's different. All of that is removed. That sinful nature is completely removed. God rewards our obedience and how we do with our financial stewardship. So let me ask you a question. Sometimes what we do is we evaluate and we say, well, i got a pretty good life. You know, I'm, 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 the, the bills are, are paid and, and my relationships are fine. I'm relatively healthy. Things are good and yet I'm not giving. Listen, God is not about your good. God is about his glory. And he gets his glory when your good is surrendered to him and he whispers on it and makes greatness out of your goodness. Because all you will ever do is just a moderate level of good compared to the greatness that God stands at the door 
waiting to offer us. And that's what he wants to do for you, and that's what he wants to do for this church. Now, when the dust settles, back to that Pareto analysis, here's what it means. Nationally, about 20% of the people in the church give about 80% of the financial resources. Okay, About 20% of the people do about 80% of the work and the service around the church. Ours may be a little better than that, but probably not significantly. So there's your four points regarding uh, stewardship. Now, I want to show you nine biblical types of givers, in, uh, nine biblical examples of givers. And uh, the first one is what I call a greedy giver, the greedy giver. Okay, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, the early church, it's just been birthed, it's in its infancy. And people are just giving, man. They're just letting it all go so that everybody has some. And there's this a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they had a piece of property. And so they sold the property. And the Bible says Ananias and Sapphira, they were both in on this. What they did is they took the proceeds from selling the property, and they took it to the church and said, here's the proceeds. But there's only one problem. Before they got there, they skimmed a little off the top. Stuck it in their pocket. But they pretended before people like they were giving it all. And so they get there and Ananias gives it. And, and Peter says, uh, why have you lied? Not just to people, but to the Holy Spirit. This day, you'll answer for it. Bam, he died. He just died. I fell over the floor. He had some men come get him, drag him out in the backyard and bury him. That's what it says, Acts chapter 5. Okay, and then in comes Waltz and Sapphira. You know, she's all happy, proud of all they gave, you know. And, and Peter says, hey, Sapphira, did you, did you give all of the proceeds for him property? Oh, yeah. He says, well, this day you're going to join your husband, and they're going to carry you out just like they carried him out. And she died. Now, I'm not saying if you didn't give this week or last week, you know, uh, mom will get a helmet. I don't know. Stay close to the hospital, okay. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is an example, a biblical example of greed in giving. Number two is a sinful giver. The sinful giver is found in the Old Testament uh, prophet, the Italian prophet named Malachi. Okay? That'd be Malachi for the rest of us. Okay? Now, in Ma Malachi, God calls people who don't give God robbers. That's what they're called. And so I call this the sinful giver. They're sinful because they're not given. It says in Malachi chapter 3, and basically I'm going to summarize and paraphrase. He says, listen, who's robbing God? And they say, oh, we're not. We're not. He says, yes, you are. You're robbing God of tithes and offerings. And then the only time in God's word, God issues uh, 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 the, the uh, freedom to test God in something. He says, listen, test me in this one thing. He said, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse, which in New Testament would be the church, bring your whole tithe. What is a tithe? 10%. Not 9.5, not 4.5, not 9.9. 10% of your income. Bring it into the storehouse. He says, and watch and see if I don't throw open the windows of heaven and pour or lavish blessings upon you from heaven. I mean, that's pretty cool. He says, bring it and test me. I tell the story that my dad, when he first got saved, he was in his 20s and and, uh, and the preacher came to the house, and, and he had, well, they had a young family. It was myself and three brothers, and, and the preacher came, and he said, I want to talk to you about this biblical discipline called tithing. My dad said, okay, what's that? He said, well, for every dollar you make, you give a dime of it to God. And he said, so my dad looked at him, and he says, I make uh, $40 a week. I have four boys. I have a truck payment and a house payment, 
and I've just started my construction company. I make $40 a week. Seriously, just how much you think I ought to give? He said, the preacher looked at me and says, $4. And said, the preacher told him this. He says, if you'll, if you'll start giving $4 a week out of your income to the church, if God hadn't blessed you in six months, I'll write you a check and pay you back. Now, that's, I ain't doing that, but I'm just telling you that's what he did. Okay. Okay. If you need to be on that plan, you can see Wayne Wood or Daryl Leach because they got a lot of money. You can see that. Okay. Now, I'm just telling you that my dad never stopped giving. My dad and mom, my dad worked six days a week. My mom stayed at home, paid for college. I mean, gave us a wonderful life, taught us. I'm telling you, God honors that. He'll bless that. He's no respecter of persons. He'll do it for you just like he did my, my parents. Now, the next one is an expectant giver. So now we're going to move to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Right in this little passage, there's, there's several. Listen to this one. The first one is an expectant giver found in, uh, found in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I've, I've used this expression, and I've gotten a little pushback, but I don't really care. Here's, here's, what, here's how I say that. Let me paraphrase that, paraphrase that for you. Sow cheap, reap cheap. Sow a heap, reap a heap. Okay? Now, you say, well, I don't know about it. That's kind of material. That's kind of a, a, a name it and claim it materialistic message. No, it's Scripture. The one who sows cheap, they're going to reap cheap. They're going to get back cheap. The one who sows a heap, who goes in big for God, God's going to be in big for them. It's what Scripture says. And it's, you can't say, well, that's taken out of context. It's not. God, when he learns, when he watches, and we demonstrates that, when we demonstrate that he can trust us with what is his, he will trust us with more of what is his. So the next one is a committed giver. This is a good one. 2 Corinthians now, chapter 9, moving up one verse to verse 7, the first part. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now here's what happens sometimes. God will put it in your heart what you're supposed to give. You'll, just, you'll hear a message or you'll be sitting in church and you'll be like, whoa. And it should be like, it, when God wants you to give, it should be outside of your comfort zone. It should be a wow factor like, Wow, you have okay. And, and, and in a moment, you just feel, I'm in. And then a little time goes by. Yeah, I think I'm in. And then we look, yeah, I, don't, I got that other thing coming up. I, I, maybe I missed that one. Maybe that wasn't the Holy Spirit. Maybe, yeah, okay. And, and next thing you know, gone with the wind. And the scripture here says, let each of you give what you've decided in your heart. What God places in your heart, go through with it, and he'll provide the resources to take care of it. I like the next one because we never see it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the second half, is a hilarious giver. It says, God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word is, means hilarious. Now, you don't necessarily watch us take the offering plate, but I do. I do the announcements in that time. And if you ever wonder, well, he's a little downtrodden, a little not too upbeat on the announcements, it's because I'm watching us give the offering. It ain't hilarious, okay? Oh, I gotta give. Oh, I gotta give. You get on, maybe you're giving online. I gotta hit that button. I gotta hit that button. Ah, okay? No, that's not what we're talking about. He's talking about somebody who understands that it's all 
his. What we had yesterday and what he's going to provide tomorrow is all his. And so the fact that I just have it for a moment is a blessing of God. I don't deserve it. I'm just glad he gave it because if he didn't give it, I wouldn't have it. If I didn't have the ability he's given me to earn it, I wouldn't get it. If my health slips and I can no longer provide a service to the, to the workforce, I wouldn't get paid. But praise God, I have health, I have mental capacity, and he has, he, he has provided providing everything I need and beyond. And so I'm just happy to give. Man, I'm glad I get to give. Look at your neighbor and say, well, I sure am happy to give. Some of y'all just lied right now in church. Now we're going to have to repent. Okay? We should be happy. We should be happy that we have something to give. And for those of you that ain't happy in what you have, I want to sign you up for the next mission trip, whether it's to Brazil Honduras, Philippines, wherever it is. You go over there, you'll come back, you'll be happy. One, you'll be happy to get back, okay? Two, you'll be happy to realize that you are blessed beyond measure. Next one is open-handed giver in 2 Corinthians 9, 11. It says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be a generous, you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You know what he's saying? The more we understand stewardship and the more we practice it, the more we yield our resources to God. You know, we say, oh, I trust God with my eternal security. I trust him with my salvation. He's making a place for me in heaven. We trust him with all of that great stuff, and yet we don't trust him with our financial resources. That's a little bit messed up, okay? And so what he's talking about here is when we begin to dive into stewardship and we just give, and we just give, and we just give, God begins to overflow in our life because he can trust us. And we, begin, we just become generous and generous and generous. And the more we're generous, the more it comes in. And the more it comes in, the more we're generous. Not, oh, now, now we're going to stop the flow and I'm, now I'm going to start backing it up like a dam. I'm going to hold it up and, and reserve and hoard it. No, we just become uh, more and more of a, a blessing to un- other people on all occasions. And then we look at Luke chapter 21, the sacrificial giver. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. I I just like to imagine sometimes Jesus is sitting there. And, of course, he knows the hearts and intentions of everybody. He's God. And and I just imagine him watching all the civilized religious people coming in. You know, it's like holding up. There he goes. Yeah. Making sure everybody saw. You know, slow when they get. You know, they may be moving quick. Slow when they get to the pot. You know, get it in. I I want to be seen. All right. It's religious. That's what I am. And then Jesus says, but he also saw. A poor widow, I just got distracted, there's something on my drink right there. Poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All right? He's impressed not with the size of the gift. He's impressed with the heart of the sacrifice. And here's a widow, she doesn't have anything, but she knows who does and she's willing to give what she doesn't even have to be a part of God's bigger blessing of his eternal economy and then lastly we have the extravagant giver this is Mark chapter 14 this is while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? 
It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money could be given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly, and Jesus said, you leave her alone. She gets it. You see? God just watches our heart. Quite honestly, he's not that concerned about how much you give. He's just not. But he is concerned about how much you keep. You see? So it's on a relative scale. So maybe you're here today, and you just heard those, and I have a question for you. Which one are you? Which one of those are you? Because we play the part of one of those, maybe two, but which one are you? Maybe you're on the low end of the scale, and you're like, boy, I've kind of messed this up. I've gotten everything upside down. How do we move from point A to point B? How do we move from disobedient to obedient, seeing how I've got everything messed up? I mean, I'm the iceberg guy. I got a boatload of debt down under here just to support what I'm seeing that's floating on top of the water. Eight steps to develop biblical stewardship. Number one, simplify your life for generosity freedom. Let something go. Let something go. So you can begin to be involved in what God wants you to in terms of stewardship. Number two, submit to God with all that you have. Just submit it. To, just give it to him. Number three, study the word for yourself. You don't, I'm glad you listened to the preacher. But go to the Holy Spirit and ask him to enlighten scripture. Read this book. You'll read those 2,000 verses where he's trying to help you. Number four. Share what blessings God has given you. Just look up and say, you remember the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one. And then you'll see what the Lord has done. Sometimes we're so worried about the next blessing, we forgot about the one from yesterday. Sometimes we pray for things, for God to do something in our life. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's to provide a vehicle. Maybe it's a scholarship or whatever it is. We, we pray for God to provide and he provides it. And before we ever pause to say thanks for the blessing, we've already set our sights on something else, on another target. Number five, set aside your resources for giving. The Bible says he wants the first, not the last. And if we give him the first, the rest of it will come out just fine because it's blessed resources. Number six, start right where you are. You may be hearing you've never given over anything, uh, $20 a month, whatever. Uh, you, you may have never given anything at all because you just simply don't have it to give. You're just, uh, you got more, uh, more month than you do money. And it just seems to run out before you ever get to the part at the church, okay? Start right where you are. Just take it. You know how to tell me? Just tell, tell God, God, you see what it looks like in my family. You see what my finances look like. Help me start today getting that cleaned up. Let me just start with whatever it is you put in my heart. Whatever you tell me, I will decide to give it, and I will follow through with it. Number seven, systematically give to the Lord. Giving to the Lord is a habit. As much of our Christian lifestyle should be, we should be in the habit of praying. We should be in the habit of reading the word we should be in the habit of sharing the gospel and we should be in the habit of attending church regularly we should be in the habit of giving 
And I don't know why it is, but have you ever noticed the greatest habits in life are the most difficult to start and yet the easiest to fail? And the bad habits in life, man, they're easy to start and they're difficult to break free from. Isn't that weird? You know why? Because the bad habits are of the flesh and the flesh is easy to convince. The good habits are of the spirit and the spirit has to overcome the flesh and it's not easy. Number eight and finally, spontaneously give as God directs you. You see, you start one place and in time, he'll just, he'll put things on your heart. You need to provide Christmas for that family. You need to provide a vehicle for that family. You need to do this for that family. You need to do this for the church. And, and, and the resources are there and, and it's just spontaneous. You just, you get to do it. And, you, and no longer do you say, I have to. You, you begin to realize, I get to. And so, here's how we close. Martin Luther, one of the greatest theologians and reformers uh, in church history. This is what he said about religion and faith. He said, a religion and a faith that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Adrian Rogers said, just give what is right and not what's left. And that really hits home with a lot of people because there's just simply not much left. Now I want to show you why we're in this giving campaign. But I had some information given to me. Just, I'll, I'll paint a picture. In our church, wow, you remember I said it's 80-20? That means 20% of the people give 80% of the resources, okay? In our church, we have about 208 giving units. That's families or individuals who give. And through today, that was last week and this week, we've raised toward the building uh, $125,000 in two weeks. That's pretty good, isn't it? Amen. That's made up of 50 giving units. So we're better than 80-20. We're 25%. That's still pretty terrible. That means, that means about uh, seven and a half out of every 10 family giving units in our church are content where they are financially and they're content with somebody else paying the bills. Now that's just old hard truth. You can be mad at the preacher if you want to. I'm just telling you the stats, okay? But here's what's gonna happen. God is going to provide everything we need to build the building. And those 50 units that have trusted God and given, they're already blessed and they don't even see it coming. And I'm just telling you, if you haven't decided based on the direction of the Holy Spirit to be involved in His kingdom agenda, it's not too late. You don't want to miss out on that. I'm, I'm just telling you that. I love you. I'm telling you I love you. you got to know that. And I want you to be blessed. And I want your family to be blessed. Now, I just dawned on me. Now I know what the problem is. 
that sorry first service, none of them gave anything. Well, praise Jesus for the second service. You wait till next week. I'm going to drop the hammer on the early service. All right. What are we even given for? We now have about $250,000 toward our new building. It'll be about a four, probably a little over $4 million project. Let me show you what we're going to build. This is what God has put before us. This is, this is where we're, this is our building right now. You'll notice it's got a kind of a, you can barely see it because there's a forest right there. Okay, this is the new entrance. This is the new building right here. It's got a walkway out front, a large breezeway inside. This is the children's corridor wing. This is preschool. This accommodates for Mother's Day out and preschool. This is the check-in station. You can check in from outside or inside. This is our current parking lot. This is people parking over in the grass. It's going to be a mud hole in January. All right? Let me see the next slide, please. Okay, this is just overhead. This is what God has put before us, the red. This is the size building we're currently in. All right, next slide. Now, this is what it's going to look like. I'm standing right here. Kendra and Caitlin are right there. Wayne Wood, you by right there. How do I know? You same place every week. Okay. These will be our offices right here. I'll probably claim this right here for two reasons. It's got its own bathroom and a quick escape out the side door right there. So the front of the existing building will have a facade right here to make it all become homogenous and, ma and match. This is a, a fire barrier, which is about a 30-foot outside seating area, okay? And then you can come in here. This is a gathering area here. Look at this gathering stuff. Right now, we got like a small bedroom out in the front that we all try to come in and out of. And we're going to be loaded with, uh, with fellowship area right here. This is a, uh, a bridal room, women's restroom, men's restroom, just saying. Another gathering area here. Here's a cafe, coffee shop, okay. This is the check-in station for the preschool and children. If you show up, you walk in this door, there's going to be a big glass wall and a big sign that says children and preschool. Or you can walk right down through here. You're going to check them in, preschool, down here. They have their own worship center children right here their own worship center and 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 the adults are going to be right in here and uh, this is going to seat about 750 people and i get asked more than anything why so small shouldn't we do like a 1200 no because it has to balance if you put 1200 seats in there you got to have preschool and children area and parking to accommodate that our property of 15 acres accommodates really well 750 people and we'll be in two services and i like that I study too hard just to get to preach once. Right here's the baptistry, large stage area, seating, double doors right here. You know how sometimes when y'all walk out that door and it annoys everybody because the light comes in? You didn't know it does, but it does. It don't bother me. I'm just standing here looking at you, wondering why, while I'm preaching, I'm wondering why is Jimmy going outside, okay? Well, this will take away that. Double doors right there, quiet closers. I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool. So this is what God has, has placed before us. Now let me see the next slide. This is the end elevation. If you walk way down there and look back this way, this is a, just a line drawing of the front elevation. All right, and then let me see the artist rendering. 
this is kind of what it'll look like. Um, and these, some of these things will change, the stone, whether this is stone, whatever, whatever. There'll be some subtle changes, but generally speaking, that's what God has placed before us. It's a big project for us. It's not very big for God. It's probably a $4 million project, and we're, it, it will begin following Easter of 2020. It'll take a little over a year to do. I don't know what we're going to do about Easter 2021. Pray for a miracle that it happens in a year, but it's going to be really hard to do that. This is why we give. Is it so we can build a fancy building and say, wow, look at us and look at this building? No, here's why. Because five years ago, let me back up. If you've been here less than five years, less than five years, I want you to stand up. And I want you to look around. Okay? You can be seated. Because God is sending us people. He trusts us with the souls of people in our area. And He's going to send more people. He's sending them by birth. Man, I like that one. He's sending them by salvation. He's sending them by transfer, people moving in town. And He's sending them out of a group of people that I would call de-churched. Maybe had an encounter with God, maybe saved, but got disenchanted with the church, got their feelings hurt, just a series of events in their life, moved them further away from God, and now they're not in the church. And this will be the place where God will rekindle that relationship. We're building this not for us. We're building it for the ones that God will send, for the glory of God and the growth of His kingdom. Amen? I want you to pray with me. Father, we come to you, and I know in this very moment that God, in this room, there's people that are at different places in their spiritual journey. God, I understand that there's people in here right now who have never received your grace gift. God, they just don't feel close to you at all. They wonder if you're real. They wonder if you love them. In this moment, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reach down deep into their soul, touch their heart, God, and reveal to them the greatness of who you are and the magnificence of the love that you have for them. God, help them know that in this moment you love them as much now as you ever possibly could because your love is just built on the fact that you are love. But God, help them know that you want better. You want greatness for them, God. And you've done everything possible to make it come, uh, to move in that direction. But it's up to them to simply choose. God, I pray that there might, if there's someone here today that's lost, separ separated from you in their sin, that they would know in this moment that they can just simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've tried to fix me and I can't. I know you've done it all on the cross 2,000 years ago. So I give all of my brokenness to that amazing gift on the cross. I want Jesus to fix what only Jesus can fix. I want to give myself to you. I want you to save me. I want you to be my Lord and Master from this day forward into all of eternity future. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for coming into my life today and saving me in Jesus' name.
And God, I know there's others in here who have made that profession of faith. God, I pray that moving forward that they will be sold out, not just having Jesus as the Savior, but having Jesus as a master, as a Lord of their life, the one who gives commands and we simply yield to it and are obedient. So God, I pray that in this very moment, this would be a day when people would drive a stake in it and say, I'm not playing around anymore. I'm not living some, uh, uh, some uncommitted Christian life. I want to live fully and freely for the Jesus who died on a cross to set me free. God, for those maybe today that have just their hearts been stirred, maybe their toes are hurting from this message, I pray that your Holy Spirit will comfort them and remind them how much you love them. Say, come on, let's just go on a journey. I'll take your finances and whisper over them and do amazing things beyond anything you can ask or imagine. God, and at the end of the day, we'll give you the glory and the praise for it all because you are a good, good God and you love us. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen.